Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. We are in the second week of a message series we're calling Everyday Missionary. The word, the word missionaries become a description of a person who's doing religious work in a foreign country, especially somebody who travels a great distance to go and tell others about Christ. However, the simple and literal definition of the word missionary is a person who's sent on a religious mission. Every Christ follower is sent on a mission every day. That's what we're talking about in this series. After, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his followers who were likely trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, they'd left everything and followed him. Then he was crucified. And so they were sorting out what, what to do next. He appears to them resurrected. And it's interesting what he says to them in John twenty twenty one. He says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Every follower of Christ is sent into their world. The question is, where? <laughs> where are we sent? Where is it that God wants you and I, if you're a follower of Christ, specifically to go? He sends some to other countries. These missionaries, they adapt uh, to foreign ways of life. They try to connect with people. They have to learn a language usually. And they're trying to bridge the gap through learning those things, language, ways of life, They're trying to bridge the gap of distance between the people and them that are presented by those barriers. And so they try to connect in a way that helps them. They serve and connect in a way that helps them share the message about Christ. Most of us are not sent way over there. We're sent to the places we live and work every day. The distance we travel isn't measured in miles, but it's it's measured by the gap created from isolation with others toward others. And our call is to bridge that gap, to cross the 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 gap, to connect with other people and to share the message of Christ. That that can be scary for, for many reasons. We talked about that last week. It's so easy to get wrapped up in our own lives, our friends, our family, the people we're comfortable with, that we really enjoy hanging out with, that we don't even notice all the people around us that really need to hear about Christ and looking for open doors to share Christ with them. So this this assignment, by the way, it's it's scary. We talked a little bit about, about that last week, but... This is what adds the zing to life. This is God's intent. As you follow Christ, you take on the challenge of learning to graciously and appropriately and with respect bridge that gap created by isolation that we tend to have in our world. That is where the zing comes from. This is where it happens. This really adds the zest to life, and that sounds like a commercial. It, it does, isn't there, wasn't there, okay, it's an old commercial. But this adds, I can't even remember what it is right now, but it adds the zest, it really does. 
One thing that makes it difficult to bridge the gap and connect with other people is we tend to think in two categories, us and them. If you think back to your years in high school, you were a part of a freshman class. Maybe there were hundreds of people in your class, but the circle that you related to was much smaller. The us in the context of that huge class, or maybe smaller class, mine was 90. But still, even in a class of 90, I had an us. I had a smaller group that I hung out with. There are gangs and cliques and people that hung out. This is a recurring theme you see in movies. Uh, it comes out because this is the way life works. We tend to gather in smaller us's of people. And I, I found an online magazine that walked through the the top ten, and I'm not going to show you all ten, but the top ten uh, coolest clicks in movie history. And the first one's Mean Girls. It's embarrassing for me to put this up there. Um, because I, I'm just going to say, I have not seen this movie. And so I don't know who these characters are. But the leader of this gang, Regina George, uh, was, was also comprised of Gretchen Winers and Karen Smith. I, I don't know. But they, they, what, what happens is these, these cliques have a reason for existence. And their reason for existence was... Being the better looking, being better looking than anyone else, shopping and filling the burn book. Now I don't, I have an idea what the burn book is. Not quite sure. Anyway, I I looked. They didn't have the grumpy old men gang on here. I mean, I, I the, the older I get, the more I'm like, hey, I like the grumpy. I think they're pretty cool. <laughs> but they didn't have them. Next one was Back to the Future. Good, we're off of the Mean Girls. Uh, Back to the Future series, Biff. Uh, match, skinhead, which they'd probably change if it was made today, and then 3D were part of that gang. The reason for existence was chewing matches, wearing 3D glasses, and bullying George McFly. Uh, Harry Potter, from the Harry Potter series. He's, he's the leader. Harry was the leader. Ron Weasley and Her- Hermione Granger. And the reason for existence was defending the magical world against forces of evil on an annual basis, as many times as they could get the movie out, I think is what. Um, And then American Graffiti was another one. And it's hard to say who the leader of American Graffiti Gang was, but Steve Bolander, Ron Howard, and Kurt Henderson, Richard Dreyfuss was kind of like a tie. Uh, Their reason for existence was cruising and racing and hanging out at drive-in diners. Now, I'd like to hang out at drive-in diners myself. Um, Greece, another one, Danny Zuko, Betty Rizzo, uh, were the leaders wearing leather jackets, fixing up cars, being cool. Another one, Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, Buzz Gunderson was the leader, and their purpose in life was physically intimidating new kids, starting knife fights, and going on chicky runs. This is from the magazine. I didn't come up with this. But this is what it said. What, what happens is, the reason this shows up is because this is what happens in life. We, we gather in a small group of people and we get comfortable with that small group of people. And we don't really want to venture outside of that group. We have an us and them mentality. 
When you have an us you focus on, everyone else becomes a them. This is especially true in religious circles. It can be true. In an extreme, what happens is you try to eradicate, eradicate and destroy everyone else. This is We're seeing this today. Jesus faced the same us and them mentality. He, he was born uh, as a Jewish man. And the Jewish leaders, the leaders of their religion, had a very strong us and them bias. Extremely strong. Uh, and these leaders were known as the Pharisees and, and scribes. In Luke 15, it says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him to hear Jesus. And the, the, the leaders, would they wanted him to, hey, take a hike. You know, tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were despised by the Jewish people as the lowest of the lowest. They basically were extorting uh, the Jewish folks for their taxes. They were, they were taking as much as they could get. And then the sinners, you know, they, these, these folks were attracted to Jesus like a magnet, and the leaders wanted him to repel them. And so the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. He, like, hangs out with them. He doesn't only let them hear his teaching and not tell them to hit the road, but he's hanging out with these guys. When you decide to follow Christ, you join a group. But Jesus' response to the grumbling here makes it clear that God is not pleased with an us and them mentality. The religious leaders were grumbling because Jesus was relating to them in their world. He wasn't afraid to relate to groups who were labeled as outsiders. He set the pace for us in this. He showed us this. Have you ever thought in these categories? You don't have to raise your hand. You could just think to yourself. But where has this divide shown up in your life right now? Is it, is it sort of your family? Is it the us? Or a group of friends from work? Or school? Who, who's the us in, in your life? Have you ever fit into a group and just felt like, I made it. I'm standing a little taller, a little prouder, finally made it into this group. Or you're in the group and you're pretty sure it's the coolest group around, whatever it is. This, this attitude of superiority of being us and them builds walls. It, it isolates people, those on the outside of that us, that group. Jesus' relationship circles were a shock to everyone around him. He, he tore down the walls. He tore down the barriers. This is what Jesus did as he related to people. So Jesus' followers, like him, reject the us and them, us versus them mentality. We reject it. We don't, we don't accept that attitude. And he led out in this by example. Rather than spending time with religious people, whom, whom really he had very scorching words for the religious leaders of his day because of their hypocrisy, because of their us and them mentality, he spent large amounts of time with the outsiders, with the them. 
He spent all kinds of time with them, and this is why the Pharisees grumbled. Because deep in here, we know this separation is wrong. And so the Pharisees, they grumbled. I grumble when I'm uncomfortable. I don't know about you. That's what brings up the, the grumbling out of me. I get uncomfortable. Or I, I see a challenge or I see something that's wrong in me. And I know I need to step out and do something different or change. And so the threat sort of makes me grow. This is what's happening with the Pharisees. They know this us and them is wrong. Somewhere down in there. Of course, they had such a lifestyle and a pattern of living with the us and them that they didn't necessarily see it all the time, but they knew, so they started grumbling. And this is why people do this. Jesus responds to the grumbling in a very interesting way. He tells three stories. A man with a hundred sheep loses one. A woman with ten coins loses one. And a father has two sons, and one of them leaves and wants his inheritance early, and he, he, he checks out, and he squanders his inheritance. In these stories, finding what was lost is the most important thing. It becomes the focus, an all-out search ensues. Once something's lost, an all-out search starts. What is so important to you that if you lost it, You'd go on an all-out search and rescue mission to find it. There's a range of things that are valuable to us. Um, my wife Cindy has a New Testament on one of our coffee tables on one of our stands there by a chair. And her dad carried that New Testament. It has, it has a metal front. Her dad carried that New Testament in his pocket in World War II. We've learned to put that away when the grandkids show up. Yeah, I think one of them had her, her, yeah, okay, I just said which one, didn't I? I said her, I have two grandsons and one granddaughter. She had her hands on it and she's, and her mom swooped in and rescued the, the New Testament. That, that would have been rough. And she, she doesn't know any better, you know. But that would have been rough. Um, anyway, if something happened, that'd be okay. My wedding ring is important. I, I wear this. I've worn it every day since we got married. Um, I'd stop everything and look for it if I lost it. I've lost my kids in department stores. <laughs> it's not good. It's not a good feeling. It's the worst feeling in the world, in fact, because how am I going to tell Cindy I lost one of them? I mean, I don't know where they went. But often they're in the little circular thing hiding out in the middle. And I found them every time. They're still alive, as you well know. So. But anyway, when something important is lost, you start looking, or you drop everything else, and you start looking for it. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate. He's telling these stories, and he ramps up the stakes in each story. First one's a sheep. Second one is one coin, but it represents 10% of her life savings. The last one is a son who leaves and walks away from his family. In telling these stories, Jesus exposes the wrong attitudes of grumbling, first of all. 
Pharisees grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Often churches have to watch out for grumbling. Churches have to battle against building walls of protection to keep them out. We're us, you know, we're the, we get comfortable with who we are and the people we hang out with. Some churches and, and members of churches have a very narrow profile of the people that they're comfortable relating to and they subtly reject, if you're sophisticated, you subtly reject those who don't fit that profile. You go to a small group and somebody shows up and you're like, oh, no, how? I'm, and you kind of grumble inside, oh, how am I going to do this? You know what? Relating in a small group of people with completely that are with people that are very different than you are is one of the best things that you can ever do because it stretches you. It's it's intimidating, but it stretches you to include more and more people in your life and you grow. You you yourself begin to change as God works through the others there to help you become more like him because he, he loves everybody. He, er, er, there are no us's and them's with God. He made us all. And that's what Jesus is saying to the grumbling of the Pharisees. Do not choose an us and them mentality because God does that. And Jesus, being God, is hanging out with the people that, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, considered them. He's breaking down the walls because he's showing us the heart of God in this. This is God's heart. He, he wants us then to break down the walls. It's interesting, there's a command in First Peter that says, offer hospitality without grumbling. Why? Because being hospitable is a stretch. And that's what Jesus is saying. We welcome everyone. Whoever we are, anyone just a little different can become a them. So we guard against this. Grumbling is the result of being uncomfortable and insecure in relating to people who are different. It's the grumbling is the outward part of criticizing and scrutinizing in our hearts and minds. Just like this group was doing, the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus set the pace for connecting with people who were religious and also those who lived far outside the lifestyle boundaries of Scripture. I mean, the, the tax collectors... They were way outside. They weren't doing what's just. They were getting everything they could. The sinners, well, they were sinners. Yeah, they were. They, wasn't that we're not all sinners. We're all sinners. But this group, the Pharisees, considered sinners because their lifestyles were way outside the boundaries of Scripture. And Jesus hung out with them. And he gives his followers the same assignment. This, this is what we're to do. We're, we're to welcome those, relate to those, be hospitable to those who don't know, yet know the Lord. And stretch ourselves to bridge the gap 
so that we can communicate the gospel. Another wrong attitude is judging. We see this in the story of the two brothers. And Jesus is matching the response of the older brother. You can read the story in Luke 15. He's matching the response of the older brother with the attitude of the Pharisees. After the younger brother returns home, the dad throws an elaborate party. And, you know, kill the fattened calf. They had steaks. They barbecued steaks. They had a great time celebrating his return. The older son gets angry, and he goes on a rant toward his dad. And he, he lets his dad have it. And then the, uh, the son says, look, th- these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he won't even claim him as a brother, this son of yours. I, you may have said something like that about your brother or sister, I don't know. This, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Why is the, soul, why is the older young son angry? Why is he mad? Why is the older guy mad? Because he's better than the younger He sees himself as better. He's looking down on him. He's judging him. The mess up gets a party. Come on. Where's my party? What about me? The the older brother moves into selfishness and pride, has no compassion for his brother. In other words, no compassion for them. Instead of compassion, he judges. This is where we end up if we begin to think we're better than anyone else because of the way we live. We're not. We're just the same. We're we're one moment away from blowing it like everyone else. One choice. Now, the right attitudes, compassion and mercy. Jesus gives the father's response to the older brother, and in it you see the heart of God. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Hey, this is... God reveals his heart in this story, in the response of the father. People who are lost are so precious to God that we need to celebrate when they return to Him. Whenever something lost, someone lost is found, there's a party in heaven. This is a great time. And so Jesus, in this story, and then later on in a command that we'll look at here, He gives His followers the mission, us for them. We exist as a church. For those who haven't yet decided to follow Christ, that's, that's a core part of our existence. We as Christ followers exist for those who haven't yet decided to follow Christ. And Jesus made it clear by his example and by his commands that his followers exist for them. Here are Jesus' last words. He said something like this five times. He repeated something just like this. His very last words to his closest followers in Acts 1.8. 
He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this is what's on Jesus' heart. This is our assignment. Our assignment is to go into our world and connect with other people, bridge the gap that's created by isolation and help them come to know who Jesus really is. Because likely in our culture, they have a, a really skewed perspective on who Jesus is. If, if folks really understood him and knew what, what, who he is and why he came, it would be a very different attitude toward him. Notice this says, we are witnesses. The, this was originally written in the Greek language, and the word for witness is martyrs. It's, it's, that's a transliteration of it, but martyrs. So it's the root of the word martyr. And so if we're witnesses, what we do is we witness by sacrificing for others all through the day. This is how we witness. And maybe just in small ways. We give up our time to help somebody else at work when we've got a lot on our plate, but they need help, we stop. We give up the time. We sacrifice a little. We sacrifice time to serve a neighbor somehow. We identify with Christ and possibly sacrifice our reputation. Maybe you're meeting some new folks and you know there's an opportunity to let them know that you're a Christ follower and... You know, sometimes it's sacrifice because you're not quite sure if your reputation with them is going to go down the tubes or not. That, that's what it means to be a witness. We, we, we die a little. <laughs> Jesus said to follow him, you have to die. And, and that's, what it, that's what it means to be a witness. We, we die a little. We're willing to give up our own time, our, our own reputation, our own convenience, really, and comfort to connect with the people around us, to do what Jesus assigned us to do. It's interesting. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. We looked at John 20. This is another time when he appeared to them after his resurrection, and they're getting pretty excited because he's been talking about the kingdom of God and how he's bringing in the kingdom, and they're wanting him to establish it right now. They say, hey, Jesus, when are you going to set this up, this kingdom? Because I'm, they're thinking I'm pretty close to Jesus, so I'm going to probably get a cabinet position or something in the kingdom, and I'm going to have a, a pretty good spot there. And so they're, they're pretty excited about this. He refused to give them an answer. Instead, he gave them a mission to complete and that is to be the witnesses to their world, to witness, to sacrifice themselves in small ways, medium ways, and large ways to tell others about Christ. This mission began, notice, with the power and help they would receive from God. This power would be given through the Holy Spirit. He, he fuels our action. And if we, if we keep walking with him, with God, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, he's going to turn us inside out toward others. We're going to be us for them. We're going to exist. We realize we exist for them. Jesus sent his closest followers 
into the world to be witnesses, and he sends us as well. We are stewards of the secret things of God. We looked at this last week. We are stewards of the secret things of God. And basically, that's the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for all of us sinners. <laughs> that's the heart of it. He died to pay the price so that we can be forgiven. We steward that. We're entrusted with that message as Christ followers. And the, the message, the reason it's called the secret things of God is because it's a message that has to be communicated. It's not intuitive. You aren't going to figure this out on your own. It, it has to be shared to make sense. It's a mystery in a sense that it's not going to be solved by our, our rational mind. It, it has to be told. And God has to turn the lights on when we hear it. And he has to turn the lights on when we share it. Since God wants all those who are lost to be found, and Christ's followers live for him, this becomes our assignment every day. We walk into our world to share Christ with people, to let them know of who he is. Why would we look for something that's lost that's not ours? Because we're his witnesses and we represent the living God as we live. We bear Jesus' name, so we represent him. Jesus also describes where this would take place for his disciples. It would be Jerusalem and Judea, which would be the most comfortable. They're us. Uh, Samaria, a little more foreign. In fact, they were hated by the Jewish folks. These, these guys were all Jewish. Um, people would be different. They'd have different ways. Travel would take a little more time to get there. And then the end of the earth. This shows God's scope. His desire is to reach the entire world with the good news about Christ. But this is, this is the most unknown and scary. Who, who does Jesus care about? Who, who's on God's heart? Everyone. All of them's. In the entire world. Jesus' command shows us that many will be witnesses close to where they've always lived. Some will be witnesses further away. Some will be sent to the remote parts of the world. God doesn't send us as perfect people. But he sends us as those who were, who were lost as well. As those who were in lifestyles and had attitudes that were completely wrong before God. And so this should shape our heart because we've experienced the forgiveness that God offers. And we can't forget that. We can't forget that we owe the Lord God everything. And so we share with this on our heart. Sundays here at Church in the Valley are open to everyone. But you know what? 99% of the people in our communities, they're not going to come unless we go. You notice the shepherd? He didn't just open the gate to the pen and wait for the sheep to sh show up. He, he went out there and got them. He tracked them down. He got them. And we need to go. We need to spend time connecting with those who don't yet know Christ. Identifying with Christ, sharing the message, inviting them to come here. We're, we're the bridge. 
our friendships, our relationships with co-workers, neighbors, and, and others we don't even know yet. That, that's, those relationships, those friendships are the bridge to cross. It's not measured in miles. We must take the initiative to share Christ in the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to wrap up the message by asking you to think through your next steps. If you'd take your connection card out of your program, uh, that'd be great. And finish completing any information that you haven't had an opportunity to complete. That would be helpful. And then here's some next steps that I'm suggesting that you may want to mark uh, on the back of the connection card or on your listening guide. Um, first one, go back to the time when God found you and thank him. Just to remember the, the attitudes, the lifestyle, the choices you were making before you found him. And we still struggle with those. It's not like you come to Christ and you don't struggle anymore. But think about the forgiveness that God's poured into your own life. And then identify those you see as them around you. Are there some ways that you need to see them differently? Change your attitude. Quit grumbling. Quit criticizing and scrutinizing and start connecting. Is there a a step that you can take to connect with them in your life? Pray specifically for them, an opportunity to talk and serve, and take a step to connect with them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your help and all the perspective, all the truth that we find in your word that really helps us know how to live for you and helps us see your heart. Lord God, we thank you for your heart for all people. Help us, God, to break down any walls and connect with everyone around us who who needs you. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.